1981, Harvard cardiologist Dr. Herbert Benson proved that Tibetan monks can control their body temperature, oxygen consumption, and brain waves by using breathing techniques and meditation. So after receiving approval from the Dalai Lama, Dr. Benson and his team traveled high up into the Himalayan mountains, and they spent the next 10 years conducting research on what exactly was going on in the bodies and brains of monks practicing meditation. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 1 of the Breathe and Think Better podcast. My name is Danny, and I'll be your co-host alongside my good friend, Jake. On this show, we explore techniques and modalities that are proven to improve both our mental and physical health like meditation, breathwork, mindfulness, and more. We also bring on guests who have expertise in a wide range of wellness topics and protocols. And finally, we explore the stories of people throughout history who have used the power of their minds and breath to overcome adversity and accomplish amazing feats. So join us on this exploration of the human experience as we find out what it means to breathe and think better. Today, we're exploring the fascinating research of Dr. Herbert Benson and the experiments he performed on Tibetan monks that changed the way we understand the body and mind connection. But before we hop into the conversation, I want to take a minute to thank our sponsor. This episode of Breathe and Think Better is sponsored by Camuso. You've heard us talk in depth about the benefits of breathing better, but the hardest part is actually remembering to breathe better. Camuso solved this by designing the world's first breathing tool the shift. It's worn as a necklace, and when you feel stressed, the shift guides your exhales, extending them to 8 plus seconds, which is proven to calm your nervous system after just a few breaths. We all know we need to take these deeper breaths, but we forget because breathing is automatic. The necklace works because you wear it. Using it every day creates the habit of breathing better to feel better. The shift was created by a psychotherapist who transformed a proven straw breathing technique into a revolutionary wearable. It offers a sleek, minimalist design inspired by Japanese Kamuso monks from 17th century Japan who used a similar tool to meditate. No batteries, no Wi-Fi, and no chemicals. Just you reconnecting with your breath to feel better on demand. Right now, listeners of the Breathe and Think Better podcast can get 15% off by using the code BLUEDOOR at checkout. That's B-L-U-E-D-O-O-R at checkout. You can also click the link in the show notes to apply your discount automatically. Join over 150,000 conscious breathers and wear the feeling of calm by checking out the shift by Camuso Design today. Stick around after the show for more exciting information. But right now, it's time to jump into today's conversation. In 1981, Harvard cardiologist Dr. Herbert Benson proved that Tibetan monks can control their body temperature, oxygen consumption, and brain waves by using breathing techniques and meditation. So after receiving approval from the Dalai Lama, Dr. Benson and his team traveled high up into the Himalayan mountains, and they spent the next 10 years conducting research on what exactly was going on in the bodies and brains of monks practicing meditation. From an outside perspective, it seemed like the monks' bodies functioned under a different set of rules. Here's an example. The human body is very good at regulating temperature within certain parameters, but when outside temperatures become too cold, the body slows down blood flow to the extremities in order to preserve our essential core temperature. So this is why when we're left in the cold too long, we suffer frostbite, on the toes and fingers first. 
because the body's actually willing to sacrifice parts of our body in order to keep our core muscles and organs alive. But as the monks meditated in temperatures ranging from 30 to 40 degrees, wearing nothing but shorts, the temperature of those extremities, the fingers and the toes, went up, increasing by over 16 degrees in some cases. So Dr. Benson and his team essentially wanted to understand what was happening in the brains of these experienced meditators. So using the best equipment they had in the 1980s, they hooked up all these monks and they measured the brain waves of them while they entered into this deep meditative state. So scientists had previously measured the brain waves of experienced meditators in the West, and they found their brains entered a slow, calm, alpha brainwave state. Dr. Benson actually wrote a book on this before he went out into Tibet to actually study the monks. The book's called The Relaxation Response, and it was inspired by Alexandra David Neal when she had studied monks previously. So that's what they were expecting to see was this this alpha brainwave, right? But when they hooked up these monks, the Tibetan monks in the Himalayas, their brains displayed something called marked asymmetry in alpha and beta wave activity. What that means is that half the brain was in this calm alpha state, while the other half was in beta state, which is a high mental stimulation and uh, concentration. So it's like a state of, of really intense focus. So it was very clear that these monks were doing something very different from the meditators in the West. Yeah, essentially they were deeply relaxed, but highly alert. So after that, you know, so Benson and his team are already blown away by this. But after that, they wanted to focus on the oxygen consumption and the breath rate. So they knew that something was going on with the breathing rates of the monks, and they wanted to know like what, what was going on there. So the readings on the researchers' equipment during the first tests were so far from what they were expecting that they spent days like recalibrating the machinery and looking for leaks. So basically, they had these oxygen masks on, and they thought that the oxygen masks weren't tight enough. They thought there was a leak because they were shocked at how little oxygen the monks were consuming. So they they measured these monks while they're meditating and their oxygen consumption dropped by 64%, which is simply unheard of. So to give you an idea, when we go into like deep REM sleep, so like ultimate, you know, re- relaxation state, our oxygen consumption only drops about 10%. So theirs dropped 64%. Yeah, and and Dr. Benson had previously studied meditators in the West, and a typical meditator in the West could get this down to 17, or I should say up to 17%. Not even close. So it's, it's just a wild difference. So these monks were slowly sipping air into their body at a rate of six breaths per minute, which... We've heard a lot about the six breaths per minute. The six-second inhale, six-second exhale is known as like the perfect breath. Uh, When we learned about that reading James Nestor's book. Basically, these these monks were displaying fully functional and attentive brain waves while Benson and his team continued their, their research. 
So they they were there for years. I know it were it, it seems like this all happened really quickly. This is over the span of years. So keep in mind they're up in the Himalayan mountains. They're there for years. They're conducting test after test after test. This isn't just one test, right? Test after test after test. So time and time again, they're seeing these changes in their physiology. Um, but towards the end of their time in Tibet, so they've done all these tests. They experienced something that was so unbelievable, it almost appeared to be supernatural. Yeah, so they were high up in the Himalayan mountains, and they were at a monastery. And a group of monks started taking soaking wet towels, and what they would do is they would dip towels into buckets of 49-degree water, and then they would wrap themselves in soaking wet sheets. And normally, your body's natural reaction to this is you'll start shaking, and you could quite literally die. And so when your body starts to, to shake, it's, it's, it's warming itself up. Uh, but these monks are perfectly calm, perfectly relaxed, just meditating through the cold. I'm shivering just thinking about it. <laughs> it's so cold. So, so they're, they've got the soaking wet sheets, they're breathing, they're meditating, they're, and, and they're hooked up, all these sensors, right? Not only did the body temperature stay stable, core body temperature rose. It went up. Yeah, and, and just to remind you, the room was 40 degrees, mm-hmm. and the water in the buckets that they dipped it in was 49 degrees. And so the average person would enter into uncontrollable shivering, possibly followed by hypothermia, possibly even death. So Benson, you know, they go through these studies, and what they thought at the time was that the monks were tapping into their nervous system and controlling it by like sheer force of will, concentration. That was kind of the hypothesis at the time. They didn't understand the exact mechanisms. They ju- they were just like, hey, these monks are doing something different. They can control their bodies with these techniques. Yeah, and to go back to Alexander David Neal, who actually inspired Benson and his team to go do this research, she was actually witnessing a different form a different form of, of this because she was witnessing groups of monks in cold monasteries using the power of their breath, but she wasn't completely sure what the mechanisms were. So today we know a little bit more about those specific techniques that, that Buddhist monks and Tibetan monks are were using and still use today. And one in particular is known as tumo, which is the Tibetan word for inner fire. Yeah, so you may have heard of Tumo before, uh, or you may have heard of Wim Hof, who has a breathing method which is basically based off Tumo. But Tumo, essentially, there's different techniques and different traditions of practicing Tumo. Dr. Benson and his team, they discovered one particular technique. So the the Tumo technique that these monks in Benson's studies we're using is a two-part technique that involves a specific breathing pattern and a concentrated visualization. And we want to take a minute here and just say that we are not trained TUMO practitioners and or instructors. And it's TUMO is considered extreme, an extremely high level technique. It requires years of prerequisite study within the Buddhist tradition before you're even allowed to start learning it. And if you truly want to learn TUMO, we recommend finding a Tibetan teacher who can walk you through the entire process in a traditional and safe way. Yeah, our experience with Tumo is actually based off of the Wim Hof method. 
Danny and I have been practicing the Wim Hof method together for over three years. And so that was our, our whole introduction to Tumo. We learned about it again in James Nestor's book called Breath. He actually has a Tumo exercise that you could do in the back of that book, which is completely different than the Tumo exercise that Dr. Benson witnessed and also different from the Tumo exercise that Alexandra David Neal witnessed. So with all of that in mind, let's talk about sort of the well, more well-known aspects of this specific technique of TUMO. So the first component is a breathing technique called vase breath, where basically you're taking five deep and forceful inhales into the belly, through the nose, exhaling out of the mouth. On the fifth inhale, you swallow the air, hold it in your belly, and then contract your abdominal and pelvic muscles so you're almost pushing out and making the body vase-shaped or, or pot-shaped, right? So that's where it gets its name. That's the first part of it. So the second part of TUMO is a focused visualization. So essentially, you close your eyes and you imagine a fire burning inside of your body, like from the core up the spine. So in order to do this, this requires an extremely high level of concentration in order for this to be effective. There's many instances of monks training for decades before building up this level of focus. So you're combining this powerful vase breath with this fully concentrated visualization, and the core body temperature rises and is sustained through this practice. And that's how those monks were drying the sheets right before Benson and his team's eyes. And just a sidebar, there's so many practices that are based off this same formula. Like, for example, there's a metta, a loving-kindness practice that also stems from the Buddhist tradition. And in order to feel this loving-kindness, you close your eyes and you imagine someone that you love. You imagine something that you love. So this is, this is very important to understand because we can carry this over into other aspects, other areas of our life, when we remind ourselves of how important it is to build up our concentration and how important the power of visualization is. So since Dr. Benson's experiments in the 70s and 80s, there have been dozens of other studies by researchers from across the world looking into these same things. And perhaps the most notable was done by Dr. Maria Kozhevnikov. I'm sorry if I mispronounced that. But going forward, we're going we're gonna to refer to Dr. Maria as Dr. Cause to make it, make it more simple. So Dr. Cause is a neuroscientist at the National University of Singapore. Uh, she works at MassGen Hospital, one of the best hospitals in the United States. And she's also a professor at Harvard Medical, Medical School. So anyway, Dr. Cause called bullshit on Dr. Benson's research. She attributed the steaming sheets to the basic principles of water hitting cold air. Uh, the same uh, idea behind when you see your breath and it's really cold out. And then as far as like heating up the extremities, the fingers and toes, she was even less impressed with that. She did an interview with The New Yorker, and this is a direct quote. She said, what's so special about heating up one's digits? It's not unusual. Anyone can imagine putting their hands into warm water, and eventually the peripheral body temperature would be increased. She's like, so what? To Dr. Cause's credit, it, it does sound unbelievable. It does. I mean, it is, you know, it's, if, if we didn't have these studies, if we haven't done, if we hadn't done this research and I was just an outsider listening to these stories, I would be like, these, that's what they are. These are, you know, stories kind of fanciful, but 
the 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 data does not lie. But uh, but Dr. Cause had had enough, you know, with the with the stories in her opinion. So in 2012, she was like, I'm going to Tibet. I've had enough. So she went to, and again, I'm sorry for these pronunciations, uh, Nagchen town in the Amdo region of Tibet, which is an area that's very well known for its tumor practice. So it was January in the Himalayas. And even outside, even inside the house where the experiments took place, it was only 35 degrees. <laughs> and so she hooked up state-of-the-art thermometers attached to a computer and monitored the core temperatures of meditating monks and nuns. Her skepticism quickly turned to absolute astonishment as she watched the core temperatures rise of every single monk and nun that she was monitoring. And one monk raised his body temperature up to 100.8 degrees, which is a low-grade fever. Completely unheard of. And she actually, she published the entire study in the scientific journal, which we're going to put a link in the show notes so you can see that this all really happened. So we've originally became kind of aware of, of Tumo and Dr. Benson through James Nestor's book, which we've mentioned several times, and we'll link to that book in the show notes as well so anyone else can read that. That's probably been the most influential book I've ever read in my entire life, but it, this story in particular resonated with us because of this idea of how much control, measurable control we have over the physiology through breathing and thinking, which is basically meditation. That's why it's just, it was so, it drew us in so much. I don't think I would have ever even believed this story if I hadn't, if we hadn't already been practicing the Wim Hof method. Mm. Because Danny and I have been practicing the Wim Hof method together. When you do circular breathing, rhythmic breathing, our, lung, our lungs, they work like a pump. And if you can think about like a pump working, when you get momentum going, it works just more fluently. And you can oxygenate every cell in your body more efficiently. And so the whole changing your body temperatures with the power of your breath, that actually makes sense. If you breathe in a rhythmic breathing, working your body like a pump, you can create heat. Like, cause when we shiver, we're creating heat. And so imagine being calm and, you know, for lack of a better term, creating that shivering, but using your lungs in a proper way, pumping oxygen and carbon dioxide and moving the blood around your body. And you can, I mean, you can experiment with this on yourself, obviously use caution and, and, you know, do it reasonably, no, don't do it near water, but you can experiment with this like really powerful breathing similar to the Wim Hof, which is, you know, based off of Tumo. And in Dr. Kaz's study, which again is in the show notes, they actually show like um, inexperienced meditators versus experienced meditators doing this breathing technique. And even the inexperienced ones who don't have that concentration power, you know, that we talked about with the visualization, they are even able to increase body temperature just by breathing in these patterns. So anyone can do this, but it's just, there's just a difference between like, you know, truly practicing Tumo and just heating up your body. Those are, those are different things, but anyone has the ability to heat up their body in this way, which is, which is fascinating. Yeah. I remember reading a little bit about Alexandra David Neal's book that she published on it. And I remember she was hesitant to go into understanding completely how it happens because I believe that the people that she studied were very spiritual. Like they believe in 
transcending the body with the mind. And we keep mentioning Alexandra David Neal. She was one of the first Westerners to ever um, observe these Tibetan monks doing what they do. She she was like the pioneer um, and absolutely amazing woman with an amazing story. We have some stories published on her on our TikTok page, but she's just absolutely fascinating. And she and she was the the first one to even discover you know, Buddhist monks, because in, in the West that back, you know, think about before cell phones and email, TV, you you don't know what's going on, you know, on the other side of the world. And she, she actually went there and saw it with her own eyes and brought back stories, which at the time people were just like, this is like what, these are stories, you know, you made this up and, you know, come to find out she was just, she was just the first one, the first Westerner to witness this. Yeah, we'll have to make a longer form video on Alexander David Neal because her story is fascinating. Yeah, she was uh, she was a badass for lack of a better term. She uh, she was uh, she was awesome. But so again, you know, on this podcast, we focus around these these methods of of and techniques and modalities. Like, how can we tap in and improve you know our mental and physical health? And this is just one example of that and per- perhaps one of the most famous. So we thought it was such a good place to start and to as a, and we're going to keep diving in, you know, we're going to keep exploring techniques and and meditations and breath works and and all sorts of other things that are proven, you know, proven. We have the data. It's proven that you we have so much more control over the way we feel than than we tend to think. It's really interesting because Dr. Benson first started studying meditators in the West and he wrote a book on it called The Relaxation Response, which we can link up to share with you guys. But then he wanted to look at the most experienced meditators and he had to go to the East. And then he discovered like to his shocking surprise that like, whoa, relaxation is just the tip of the iceberg <laughs> with, with the meditation practices. So it's interesting that Dr. Benson discovered how you know it had such practical effects for people in the West and then discovered the superhuman powers of the people in the East. And it's almost like you know the superhuman powers of the people in the East and Dr. Benson's work now is going to help people discover that there's such simple techniques that can help us relax and, you know, just think more clearly and have a more calm and alert state of mind. Yeah. And, you know, I love to see this, you know, marriage of the spirituality side of things and the science like coming together where you've got, you know, that Benson's experiments were just the first example of Tibetan monks being measured with scientific tools. Today, that's not uncommon. You know, there's research happening right now, both in the East and in the West, where researchers are, you know, taking a look at, and not just Buddhist, you know, um, Tibetan monks. We're talking about the the uh, yogis in India. We're talking about a lot of folks in the Hindu religion and a lot of these gurus and lamas and Rinpoches and and all of these people who have mastered these techniques, it's just starting really now to become mainstream science. Now you've got you've got I mean Benson was from Harvard, but now you've got whole departments at Harvard dedicating to study this. You've got scientists at Stanford, you get scientists at Dartmouth, Yale, and then you know other colleges and universities in other countries are starting to turn their eye to this because it really is just quite clear that there's something here and we need to better understand it. 
Well, we're going to continue to learn about it and research it and share our findings with you on this show. We've got a lot of really awesome stories uh, to share with you guys in this season of the podcast that we're very excited about. Uh, this is just the tip of the iceberg. So thank you guys so much for, for listening. Uh, please check the show notes for what we have a ton of free resources in there and um, resources for you to dive deeper into this stuff too. We'll, we'll put Herbert Benson's documentary in there. We'll link to the scientific studies so you guys can go as deep as you want down this rabbit hole. All right. Thanks everyone for listening. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Breathe and Think Better podcast. I have some exciting announcements I'd like to share with you really quick before you go. First off, we are extremely excited about the amazing stories and guests coming up in season two of our podcast. We want to thank everyone who joined us for season one. If you like our show, the best way to support us is by leaving us a review, letting us know what you like about the show or what we can improve. That will help us immensely. We're also excited to announce that we now have our very own Substack, which you can subscribe to by visiting the link in the show notes. You can also support this show by supporting our sponsors. We already mentioned The Shift by Camuso Designs at the beginning of the episode, but don't forget you can get 15% off their revolutionary breathwork necklace by using the code BLUEDOOR at checkout or visiting the link in the show notes. This podcast is also sponsored by Apollo Neuro. The Apollo is a wearable device that actively improves your mood. Utilizing low-frequency sounds felt as gentle vibrations, the Apollo wearable was developed by neuroscientists and physicians to promote better sleep, relaxation, and focus. On average, consistent users experience up to 40% less stress and up to 25% more focus and concentration. The Apollo wearable also increases REM sleep and heart rate variability, just like the exercises performed by the Tibetan monks that we discussed in today's show. I'm wearing my Apollo wearable right now and I have it set to focus mode and I have to tell you, I feel truly dialed in, concentrated and alert. Right now, listeners to the podcast can get 10% off the Apollo Neuro wearable by visiting the link in our show notes. Take control of how you feel and try the Apollo wearable today. This episode of Breathe and Think Better is also sponsored by Headspace. Through science-backed meditation and mindfulness tools, Headspace helps you create life-changing habits to support your mental health and find a healthier, happier you. The Headspace app has hundreds of hours of guided meditation and mindfulness exercises that have been proven to reduce stress by 14% in just 10 days. Right now, listeners to the Breathe and Think Better podcast can get access to two free weeks of the Headspace app by visiting the link in our show notes. Find more joy, less stress, and the best sleep ever with Headspace. Visit the show notes, download the app, and start your free trial today. Thank you all so much for your support, and thank you for listening to our podcast. We will see you next time.